You're listening to episode 386 of the UAV Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Vanderhoof. Hello, Max. How are you? I'm good, David. Recording in the car yet again. Hopefully not for too much longer while we work on upgrading the internet. But uh, for right now, we're tethered to the good old cell tower and off we go. Yeah, well, we've got lots of news, so we better get going because we, we know your signal's kind of intermittent. Where do we get hydrogen for fuel cells? Boeing's loyal wingman, a gear retraction. New drones rules for Oregon. Gremlins snatched in midair by, of course, the greatest airplane of all time. Drone attacks from the U.S. power grid and Black Friday drone deals. It's hard to believe that we're to the point where we're starting to talk about Black Friday. But, you know, driving home tonight, I saw the first sets of decorations. So the holidays are upon us. Oh, dear. (laughs) I can hardly wait. So with that, let's get started. Well, our first story is from Commercial UAV News, the potential of hydrogen fuel cells for UAS. We know that fuel cells are Max's favorite subject. So instead of turning water into gasoline or gasoline into water, let's talk about fuel cells. Hydrogen fuel cells. So this is an interview that Commercial UAV News conducted at the uh, Commercial UAV Expo. And that's with uh, Doosan Mobility Innovation Company. And they're using hydrogen fuel cells for drone applications that make perfect sense, right? When you're looking for long flight times, uh, you have to look at power sources other than electric uh, batteries and so forth. And fuel cells is one of the options. So in this interview, they talk about how the drone that Doosan is working on can have a flight time of two hours. And uh, as I said, the typical kinds of customers looking for long flight duration, things like pipeline inspections and search and recovery, but they're also looking towards package delivery. And the interesting part of this article to me is, where does this hydrogen come from? So in other words, uh, you might have an application where a hydrogen-powered drone, a fuel cell-powered drone, is just just what you need. But you need a source of hydrogen, and where do you get it? So Doosan has partnered with Ready H2 as uh, a supplier of hydrogen. And this is a, well, pretty straightforward process. The idea is that Ready H2 um, is in the business of uh, renting hydrogen tanks and refilling hydrogen tanks. So you can have the hydrogen shipped to your worksite ready to load into the drone, ready to load into the fuel cell on the drone. It's kind of like fueling up your gas grill. You go take the tank, you you go return the empty tank, and they give you a full one. Now, if you think about shipping hydrogen fuel, you might think, well, you know, isn't that regulated? Is that a problem? How easy is it to do that? But Ready H2 has uh, their process approved by the U.S. Department of Transportation, and they're essentially good to go. Now, these hydrogen tanks, they're constructed of a carbon fiber composite, 
and they're lined with a high-density polymer liner. The, uh, the tank can hold 350 bars of working pressure, and, you know, they're smallish. They're a little under 8 inches by about 17 inches, and so they're, they're lightweight. The company says they're reliable and safe. Uh, so here you go, David. Um, you know, we, we talk about the infrastructure uh, for alternative fuels, either uh, hydrogen for fuel cells, or we talk about sustainable aviation fuel for piloted aircraft. Uh, but here's a, a solution for hydrogen for fuel cells. Yeah, and it sounds like it's a, a fairly straightforward. We have the system set up, and, and it's just adapting, deli- having them deliver like you would get heating oil or, you know, or propane. So pretty neat. Um, but as Max, you did point out in the show outs, what it doesn't say is where Ready H2 gets the hydrogen that it puts in the tanks to deliver. I'm really curious to know what their source of hydrogen is. I assume that Ready H2 isn't producing the hydrogen themselves. I imagine they're buying it in bulk from from somewhere. And I'm just curious to know where that somewhere is. What's the source of that hydrogen? I think I'll try to contact them and and find out because I'm curious. Because that's an important part of the infrastructure puzzle, not only to shipping it to the customer, but, you know, what's the source of the the hydrogen in this case? So uh, I'd really like to get an answer to that question. So as I said, I'll reach out to them, see if I can get an answer, and we'll we'll bring that information to you in the future if we get it. Yeah, and like you said, we've talked about one of the articles we've talked about in the last six months was the fact that most hydrogen uses fossil fuels to burn fossil fuels to make the hydrogen. So it's sort of like, okay, we're just pushing the um, carbon burning downstream a little bit farther. So, yeah, interesting, you know, anybody out there who knows how these companies harvest hydrogen, let us know. So, Boeing's Loyal Wingman UAV's landing gear engaged for the very first time. This is from DefenseWorld.net. Boeing Australia has reached a milestone with their Loyal Wingman aircraft, air power teaming system. They retracted its own landing gear. That's right. And this is the first time that they have done that, I think, in previous test flights. And this is completely typical, David, when you're testing a new aircraft design is just, you know, leave the landing gear out of the equation for the time being. Obviously, when you take off, the landing gear is extended, but just leave it extended for the duration of the test flight. Uh, And then later on, if the tests are are proving the design, then you can get into the, the landing gear system. And that's what they've done here. In this case, the uh, the landing gear system is supplied by RUAG Australia. And they also note that the, uh, the flight control and navigation systems came from BAE Systems Australia. So, yeah, this, uh, this, this craft has a, a pretty strong Australian heritage. They have two aircraft. It was Aircraft One that did the um, landing gear retraction. And like Max said, it's very important. Landing gear retraction is not necessarily an easy thing. If you look at some of the landing gear on aircraft, I mean, they do some pretty amazing sort of flips, rolls, and things to get into places 
so they can be stored in the aircraft. And keep in mind, these are not big aircraft. So retraction and deployment is really a big deal. Data from the flight test missions will use to inform and refine the digital twin of the Boeing air power system. So keep in mind that they are building a digital duplicate so that they can use as a training tool. Yeah, the idea here, part of the idea here is that, right, uh, these test flight missions help accelerate the aircraft's development by sharing this, uh, you know, this data, this performance data that comes from the, the test flights. And one other point on, on landing gear, some in some ways, landing gear is sort of the you know the poor stepchild. Is that is that the right phrase of uh, of aircraft systems? It's arguably uh, it depends on who you talk to, but it's arguably the second most complex system on an aircraft. Uh, perhaps the f- most complex system is the engines, but landing gear are much more complex uh, than people might realize. It kind of helps to imagine the force that those landing gear have to uh, absorb when an aircraft lands, when it slams into the ground, which is what we call a landing. Um, so uh, these, these things are massively engineered, typically lots of titanium parts. Uh, they are not inexpensive. It's a major system for an aircraft. So, you know, it's just good to keep that in mind that this is more significant than some people might realize. It's a major milestone, and and we've sort of gotten used to aircraft sort of retracting their gear on their first flights, you know, but as a general rule, that's not been the way. Um, So, I mean, you you kind of want to fly with a fixed gear the first couple times you go flying. Otherwise, it gets very complicated very quickly. Yes. Talking about very complicated very quickly, Oregon has new state rules for 2022 coming in the summer. Um, and this is from the state journal, statesmanjournal.com. Oregon recently formed a drone rules committee. This committee will determine where drone pilots can take off and land at state parks and also along the Oregon coast. They expect these rules to take into account the impacts that drones are having on wildlife and personal privacy and some other issues. And as, as you mentioned, David, they hope to have these rules in place for summer next year, 2022. And it, this is a pretty large committee. I'm very surprised at the diversity of the backgrounds. We'll start off with Kenji uh, Shugahara. The commercial drone pilot, FAA advisory committee member, and U.S. policy expert, Heather Peck from the Oregon Department of Aviation, Laurel Hillman, Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, Ocean Shore Specialist, Matt Davey, a OPRD park ranger for Smith Rock. Also on the committee is Mike Davis from Aero Drone Corporation. He's a UAS instructor and a drone pilot. Also Sarah Lathrop. She's a state aviation coordinator, Oregon Department of Forestry. We also have Bradley Callahan, the OPRD GIS program lead and SUAS coordinator. And then two others, Robert Roth. He's assistant director of aviation Pacific Northwest region, Oregon, Washington state office fire and aviation from U.S. Forest Service, 
then finally, Erica Sears, Deputy Director, Oregon Coast Visitors Association. So I think if, you, if you're going to establish a committee uh, on a statewide basis to establish some rules, I, I think they've got a really good cross-section of folks here. Yeah, I think it touches all aspects of the um, issue, um, from fire and wildlife to tourism. It's interesting that they've come out with such a diverse committee We'll see what they come up with as far as how practical and enforceable the rules are. Now, whenever I hear about a state or local government either thinking about or actually enacting drone rules, I get a little nervous because most of the time it seems that even though they're well-intended, they take on regulatory aspects that are really part of the FAA's purview and not the local jurisdiction. However, this case is completely different. And the article treats this really, really well. And just to quote a few sentences from the article that puts this in perspective, they say, Oregon has no authority over airspace, which of course is true, only where people take off and land with drones. That's true. Then it goes on. And legally, they needed legislation from the Oregon Senate to begin that rulemaking. That happened last session with the passage of Senate Bill 109. So they understand very clearly you know, the scope of uh, their uh, ability to, uh, to regulate uh, drones in the state of Oregon, unlike many other states that think they can enact all kinds of things that really only the FAA could do. So they're looking at this from the absolute proper standpoint, in my eyes, and they've got the, the good bunch of people to, uh, to do that. So I'm pretty optimistic. So their first meeting, actually, we're recording this on November 11th, was November 10th. Public comments will be accepted when the proposed rules are released. Um, I'm, looking forward to, I'm looking forward to seeing them because this could be a model for other states to follow. Um, and the rules would only apply to the Oregon coast and state parks, which are managed by the ORP, OPRD. So they're, they're really keeping their scope narrow and their focus narrow. They're trying to protect the coastlines and their parks. So I, I got to give them credit. They've at least initially thought everything through. Yeah, well done. So our next story is about gremlins. And this is from thedrive.com. C-130 successfully snatches Gremlin's drone in midair. DARPA's X-61 Gremlin air vehicle was captured and retracted by a C-130. Yeah, this is... Uh, anytime one airplane catches another in midair, I'm intrigued and impressed. So we have these, <laughs> these Gremlins, these X-61As... And, how, how, David, how did this cargo plane, how did the C-130 grab the X-61? It's got a trapeze that it sort of extends out the back of the cargo bay. And the drone flies into, with a hook attached to it, and flies itself into the trapeze. The trapeze locks itself down and then is retracted into the into the airframe, into the 130. Um, it's... Pretty much we've been doing this sort of technique for 
um, since the 30s with the Macon and the Akron where they would carry Sparrowhawk fighters and the pilots would fly them into the trapeze and um, retract them into the fuselage, into the dirigible. So, I mean, this is the point of this is you're supposed to be able to recover these drones after their mission. And the long range transport, like a 130, can get them to the targets. They'll be able to deploy them and then recover them with their information. Um, the other thing about the X 61s is they are capable of landing via parachute. So if they don't get cooked up on the trapeze, there's other ways around it. But it's old technology being revisited again. And there's some other, um, I guess, milestones, some other things that have come out of these uh, recent tests. And, of course, DARPA isn't providing a whole ton of information about these tests, as you would you would guess. But apparently they demonstrated flying two X-61s together. And they also demonstrated that when one of these gremlins comes off of a mission, it can be refurbished and prepared for another mission, in other words, turned around within 24 hours after the conclusion of a mission. I don't know exactly what kinds of uh, refurbishment or maintenance work needs to be done, but being able to turn them around in 24 hours, uh, that's, that's pretty impressive. For an X-plane, that's really impressive. So, I mean, these are, they are becoming more and more less X-plane, experimental plane, and more practical, what we used to call y aircraft you know the, most people don't realize that the designation x was for experimental but pre-production aircraft were always labeled y so if you ever see a aircraft labeled a yc-130 it meant it was a pre-production aircraft so let's talk about something else that was i was really sort of surprised at drone attack on u.s power grid failed this time this is from dronelife.com a modified Mavic 2 was recently found trailing a copper wire. It was believed it was an attempt to attack on a Pennsylvania power substation in 2020. What do you think, Max? This is a grounded file, huh? It, well, it sure is, but it's also you know, kind of an inevitable thing. I mean, I think we all assume that uh, you know, drones, we may, see, we may see drones being used more and more for attacks like this. We learned about this because of a recently released Joint Intelligence Bulletin that was initially published October 28th, uh, 2021. And this bulletin came out from the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, and the National uh, Counterterrorism Center, the NCTC. And uh, according to the bulletin, this is the first known instance of a modified UAS likely being used in the United States to specifically target energy infrastructure. They say, we assess that a UAS recovered near an electrical substation was likely intended to disrupt operations by creating a short circuit to cause damage to transformers or distribution lines based on the design and recovery location. So, I mean, it's not a very sophisticated attack, right? I mean, you know, let, let's let's drag a copper wire over an electrical substation and see what shorts out. Uh, but nevertheless, it's somewhat worrisome. It was a squirrel that took out all of New York. In, in you know, I mean, if you watch 
John Oliver's last week tonight, uh, the week that we recorded this, his was talking about the energy infrastructure, the, the power grid, and the things that have taken out the power grid. So it's not really hard to do. And this is clearly one of those malicious intent ones that you sort of go, okay, that's getting close to you know being a test and and hopefully we don't see any more of this occurring in the future. Now there were some modifications made to this Mavic 2. For one thing, it had no camera or memory card. Those had been removed, but also removed were any identifying markings. So the operator of this drone has not been identified and maybe never never will be, uh, but clearly it was more than just some random kid trying to see what would happen. If someone goes through all the trouble of removing the identifying markings, that sort of suggests something something fairly malicious. So, well, let's let, let's move on to other things like shopping. You know, let let's do some retail therapy. Mm-hmm. Black Friday drone deals for 2021, early sales and what to expect. November 26th is coming up, but you don't have to wait till then. The Skydio 2 and the DJI Maverick Mini have great sale prices in the U.S. And look for the Mavic 2 Zoom in the U.K. What else have we got, Max? So there's a couple of things going on. Amazon apparently has some early deals, but it's still kind of early, so we may see more. But they have the DJI Mavic Mini, normally $399 for $349. This, again, is at Amazon, so there's $50 off that. They have the Skydio 2 Sports Kit, which is uh, regularly priced at $1,800, roughly is uh, on sale for $1,400, roughly, save $500 there. Uh, In fact, uh, Skydio themselves is offering the uh, starter kit uh, at a $400 savings at their website. And there's uh, many others that are sort of gearing up for the holiday season. B&H Photo, of course, is has uh, got a, a rather large catalog of drones, but they have not, as of this recording or as of this article, they have not yet announced any major discounts yet. Uh, and there's the kind of the the usual other big box stores. Yeah, Best Buy is price cuts on DJI and Parrot drones, including uh, clearance on the Parrot. Uh, the parent and Anafi um, extended combo is $494 on Best Buy and saving $405. Newegg has got lots of refurbished drones, um, not that they have any big deals yet. Adorama, home to some good early deals on DJI drone launches. And then last but not least, DJI has all the latest devices and discount codes. Now, if you're in the UK, we recommend you check out the show notes, and um, there's other ones available in the UK. And shop around and and keep your eyes open. I'm sure you'll find a good bargain this holiday season if it's able to get off a boat off the coast of California. That's right. That's right. If the drones are in a container somewhere and floating in the ocean, it could be a a problem. But, yeah, I'm curious to see. Uh, what the size of this uh, holiday season is in terms of uh, drone sales compared to 
well, recent years, but compared to uh, pre-pandemic levels as well. I don't know if we're kind of through the drone buying bubble yet or or what. I'm not sure. But the, the numbers from this holiday season will, will tell us a lot about whether or not we are. Yeah, so I, well, we, I guess we'll see. I mean, it's another holiday season and we'll... But Max, you know, we don't have we don't have the whole things like how to fly your drone and and all of the other turmoil that we've had over the previous other holiday seasons. So we'll have to keep keep our eyes open for this. So I guess Max, we should wrap that up so we can go Christmas shopping. What do you think? <laughs> we can wrap it up, but I am not ready to go shopping yet. But uh, yeah, thank you uh, all of you for listening to the UAV Digest. We really appreciate it and of course you can find us on our website the uavdigest.com you'll find show notes for all the episodes there with links we have some videos um, from uh, some of the stories that we uh, that we spoke of this episode and if you want to go right to the show notes for this episode that's the uavdigest.com slash 386 and of course you can find us on our slack listener team and you do that by sending us an email to feedback at the uavdigest.com you can find us on linkedin on facebook twitter um just look up max flight or david vanderhoof so with that i'm gonna say this is david in delaware and this is max still in maryland thanks for listening